think of Vercel as a closer to a CDN than to a VM, right? Like the CDN, you don't know where things are. You don't know where the computers are. You don't monitor them. You don't do DevOps on your CDN, which is, in my opinion, amazing. It's you know, one of my favorite mental models and pieces of technology is, oh, everything is global and no one gets paged at 3 a.m. because their CDN is down. It's just an impossible conversation to have. Are you spending too much time debugging instead of writing cool new features? Want to debug up to 40 times faster? Embold's code quality engine will not only pinpoint exactly where your bugs are, but also tell you which ones you need to fix first. Find out how at embold.io slash bettercode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hi, Paul. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Ben. Hey, Paul. Hey. Hey. How y'all doing? Getting by in a crazy mixed up world. Yeah. That's right. This is the place to come and zen out, not talk about politics or the collapse of our republic. This is just a place to chit chat about. No, it always works really well to separate technology from politics. That's that's going great in our culture. We're on a quiet period with the tech. Free speech. Everything's fine. It's all (laughs) fine. None of this has anything to do with anything else. Just great. I like the way you're unconnecting the dots. No, no connection. No connection. So we have a great guest today, Guillermo Rauch, CEO of Vercel and the co-creator of Next.js. Welcome, Guillermo. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you proposed coming on the show. We're glad you did. And the headline was year in 2020 wrap up, front end 2020 wrap up, what happened and what's to come. So let me start there. Talk to me a little about what happened on the front end in 2020 that you liked or didn't like and where you see things headed in the future. Can we define what Vercel and Next.js are for our audience? Yeah, so Next.js is a framework for front-end development. That's batteries included. In the past, when front-end developers wanted to do something sophisticated with React and with style and design systems, they had to configure a lot of things like Webpack and compilers and best practices for production. So developers were spending more time working on the meta framework, the part that's not their primary product concerns. So Next.js came along and gave developers this uh, zero config, very instant, real-time, fast framework for front-end development. For people who know a little bit about it, could you compare it to Gatsby on one side and Create React app on the other? Like, How is it different from those things? Yeah, so what's interesting about Next.js is that it's a hybrid of a static generator and a more traditional server rendering oriented web framework. So instead of saying, well, you do everything statically, or in contrast, you do everything dynamically, Next.js allows you to decide on a per page basis. So it's a really good fit for sophisticated websites that need to do a mix of these things like e-commerce websites, big content websites with lots of pages. Next.js is more flexible than other uh, front-end Right. I, I've noticed this with React apps where you're like, oh, but I also need the about page. And then you've created a component that's like 6,000 words right. of text. Okay. So <laughs> right. it, it'll help you. So you've got, you can do both the dynamic component-based app stuff. And then also if you need to drop in a lot of content in a sort of classic static web page model, it makes that easy. Totally. If I'm using Next.js, I'm really thinking about the future of an application that is going to scale. So would you say that uh, you're aiming for like small to large enterprise companies that are thinking about how to use JavaScript in a way that can support lots of users? 
Definitely. So you typically choose, in general, I would say React even. Like React, a lot of people say, oh, it's a, it has a big runtime size, right? Like when you import React as a library, it's, it's, it's not that it's heavy, but it's also not, you know, let's call it, it's not slim. So you typically choose React in the first place because you're seeking that sort of extra mile of interactivity, power on the client side, customization. So I think Next.js fits kind of the very idea of React really well. You find companies that want to do a lot, the, a lot of interactivity on the front and a lot of dynamism, a lot of customization and personalization, and typically tend to have larger sites. But what's nice about Next is you start with one page and you can sort of scale to billions of pages. You can think of it as like horizontal scalability of your front end. That's great. So maybe we, now we can talk about front end in 2020. I saw I saw you on Twitter being very bullish. Well, wait, we didn't we didn't hear what Vercel is. Yeah. So what we found about front end is that the way to execute on it in the best possible way is is sort of this marriage between the power of the framework on the client side, but also the power of the cloud on the other hand. There's so many things that a platform can do to optimize the delivery of your front end. So that's exactly what Vercel does is you publish your Next.js project to Vercel and we actually support uh, other frameworks like Gatsby and create React app and many other ways of doing front-end. But we then take advantage of the global cloud to distribute your front-end and put it right next to where your visitors are and then give you a way of continuing to push changes and collaborate on top of those changes. So it's an entire sort of development lifecycle uh, you can think of it as kind of scaping localhost, right? Like when the developer works on a front end, they're always on localhost 3000 or localhost 8080. But, you know, the world is more collaborative now and we can sort of get push. Vercel will give you a preview deploy of your front end. You can share it with your team. You can share it with your clients and customers. And then you can push to prod. And sort of all these best practices are baked in into the Vercel platform. That's great. So I don't need to set up a complicated staging server or an environment for all of my developers. I can have production and then there's incremental change. Totally. And you don't have, and similarly to what Next did for, you know, the configuration of your front end framework, you don't have to constantly want to add the latest sort of feature for image optimization, the latest code and the latest compression, latest SSL optimization. So every optimization for high-performance front-end delivery is also baked into the platform. What was Vercel's name before? Zeit. Zeit, okay. So publishing static sites. So, all right, let's get back. Thank you for digressing and, and explaining uh, sort of what's up. Sarah, what was your question? It was about... Um, it was about 2020. I was I was repeating Ben's question of, you know, what, what front-end changes do you see in 2020? What are you excited about? Yeah, uh, funny enough, I was just writing a comment on Hacker News, which I don't usually do a lot. <laughs> some but, of our uh, favorite things to do, <laughs> as you do. So I, th I think it summarizes my year really well, because so the, the title of this particular post is uh, my stack is HTML and CSS. Mm. And wow, that's a that's a catchy <laughs> title. I, I want to read bold, that. Bold move for twenty twenty one. And I swear, I swear I wasn't just uh, going there to like defend Next.js and why you need more tooling on top of the bare primitives of the web. But I kind of called out a slight oversimplification of that blog post that I think is kind of the summary of what we would summarize 2020 to have been in terms of the evolution of front end and our company. So 
the author posits that you can get a 100 lighthouse score, so the score of how the industry has been measuring front-end performance, if you just stick to the fundamentals. Like he calls out WordPress, he says, I deleted WordPress, and now I'm just using HTML and CSS. Look at how great my score is. And I think, you know, I think WordPress has done incredible things for the web. And one of those things is definitely not performance. Like the average web, uh, WordPress blog doesn't perform. But that's not because they didn't use HTML and CSS and they just, you know, they added, they added a radioactive material. I think what we discovered in 2020, we call this sort of the iceberg of front-end performance, is that developers are constantly looking at oversimplified models to try to understand why things perform or don't. Like the most common that I see in the software engineering industry is programming language. If I choose the right programming language, I'm going to get performance for sure. And I think that kind of happened on front end too. If if I delete all JavaScript, I'm going to have great performance. <laughs> Actually, that's not true because the, what I point out in the comment is even the image tag is responsible for like lots of bad performance. Like not giving it a width and height will make your layout shift. So it's just when you go to a website and you see it all shift around and sort of you don't need, you can't even begin reading the text because you got pushed down by a gigantic image that came later. So we, we saw this with Jamstack in 2022. Like people were saying, well, if you use a static site generator, you, you're definitely going to have great performance. Or if you use a CDN, you're going to have great performance. And the reality is actually more complicated and boring, which is all of these things help. Uh, like we talked about with Next.js having hybrid static support. Static can definitely help. Perhaps you have a slower server. Perhaps a server is in one location and a static page could be published worldwide. And that gives you some more performance. But then even the CSS that you use can hurt performance, the elements that you use, the third-party things that you embed. Now, when you embed the Twitter embed, right, like that tweet that you see on all these websites being embedded, I think I read the other day, it's like 2.5 megabytes of JavaScript Whoa. are back oh, yeah. in that, Embeds that tweet. Embeds are like, let's just help ourselves. <laughs> That's just those clients, right? <laughs> let, me, let me go in a different direction because as you're talking, I'm, I'm not at you, but at the web and, and the way we've built the web, I'm slowly losing my brain. So like the thing you're saying is real, right? And we've known that if you have the width and height of an image, you can get a faster page load time for like 22 years. And computers are <laughs> able to look at the image and know how many pixels it is. They're really good at that. They're really good. Totally. And yet for some reason in our God forsaken industry, that is just, just like justified type. It is just a miracle and we can't solve it. We can't have <laughs> images that are re already responsive built into the platform. And like, you're seeing this, right? Like this is something that you're thinking about and responding to. Like, how did we get this bad? And how do we dig out of this? Because I can't believe we're still having this conversation. I can't believe we don't know how big an image is in 2021. Yeah, you know, that's, that's fantastic. That's a fantastic way to put it. And I think it kind of goes back to your previous question. Like, why does Vercel exist? Uh, why don't we just write Next.js and evolve it as an open source project that only knows about the boundary of a client side tool that you download from NPM, right? And the reason is that when you have a platform, you can start automating, you know about the framework. So we sort of understand, oh, there's Next.js there, or there is uh, Vue, or there's Svelte. And we can start marrying cloud capabilities with sort of software construction capabilities. 
Give, give me, what would a cloud capability be, like an example? So in this case, Next.js gives you an image component okay. that is almost a perfect substitute of the image tag. And then when you push, we do a lot of optimizations to your images automatically while still preserving that kind of like super ease authoring experience of like, oh, I'm just using a, an image tag. And we're going from like three letters, IMG, to the React component version, which is five. I-M-A-G-E with an I capitalized, right? So for those of you that are not so familiar with React, React almost looks like HTML. The components are typically capitalized when they're not HTML tags, and they can have behavior, not just uh, you know what the browser supports, but we can add behavior on top. So in this case, Vercel has an automatic image optimization layer at the edge. So we serve the right-sized image to each device, which is also a huge deal. And, and, you know, the emergence of the mobile web has added complexity to, to developers' equations as well. In the world that you're looking at where so much focus is on the front end, I'm thinking in terms of back-end developers. Are you, it sounds like almost like they're working in more of a DevOps capacity where they're thinking the most about how they're serving up components. Does that ring true to you? What do you how are you seeing people adjust to this world? Yeah, I think uh, a forcing function to this adjustment has been the emergence of mobile. Uh, I said mobile web is desperately needing a lot of enhancement, but mobile in general has driven companies to create clients like on Android and iOS that consume API services. Some API services are off the shelf. Now it's so easy to integrate, uh, you know, sign in with Apple. And that's a service that's maintained by Apple. Or your team maintains a GraphQL or REST API. That is a perfect insertion point, this world, this configuration for Next.js to exist. Because each Next.js page can say it has a data fetching function hook. And it says, I'm going to fetch data from this API or this API or this combination of APIs. So I think, you know, this division between front end and back end has already been happening. So it's a good place to be right now. And sort of identifying all these problems with the web and these opportunities for improvement, especially because we serve, you know, a lot of industries like e-commerce that any, any measurable improvement in front-end performance helps them dramatically. Whereas an improvement on back-end might not really move the needle or perhaps that's already been solved. Like their API P99 response time is 200 milliseconds. So from 200 to 150, you didn't do anything. Yeah, for people who don't know, like when you're talking about e-commerce on a mobile app and being, you know, so reactive, what what kind of difference could that make? A, a half a second, you know, is that the difference between a purchase and you know just <laughs> flipping away to something else? Yeah. yeah. So, so we're looking at you know a hundred millisecond improvement, lifting conversion by one percent. A lot of our customers have home pages, so like when you land on Dior.com that if you improve something measurably there, that home page, that just one page, is representing sometimes like 7%, 10%, sometimes even more of their aggregate revenue. Because you have mm-hmm. returning visitors, you know, what do you, what do you, or what are you going to recommend for me today, right? And with, whether you render that fast, whether you got your images right or not, it's a transformational difference. Right. Having a great experience then makes you want to repeat that experience. That makes sense. Totally. And not abandon cards and many, many other things. What's throwing me here listening to you is that you're seeing this stuff in a different way than I do. And in the framing, let me see if I can give this back to you and see if I'm accurate. So the web to me used to be, you know, I've got a server and I download some HTML, the browser interprets it, I look at it, and then I go to the next page. And like, I don't, 
There are a million ways to add color to that, but that's roughly it. Apps have come along. We're on mobile devices. What it sounds like you're creating and building is almost the web web pages and web frameworks as almost like apps in that you're going to bundle up all the static resources that I need. I'm going to download that to my browser. It's going to interpret it. And then much as apps do when I get them from the app store, I download a binary bundle and it starts to call out to APIs and it starts to call out to analytics platforms. That is what you are translating to the web. So instead of providing dynamic services, you're providing a, a service for creating static app style versions of of web apps that can get more and more efficiently onto browsers at which or at which yes. especially mobile browsers and then go talk to all the other things that now make up the web correct okay and, and there's a hybrid situation here because what you mentioned about the 20 years ago web has been a huge inspiration for nextjs because one thing we did differently four years ago everyone was going towards single page applications which basically what they do is they download a spinner. I always put it in those terms. Imagine going to newyorktimes.com and what you first get is sort of this animated spinner of the New York Times <laughs> logo. You'd be like, is this Flash? Remember Flash? Like, no, this like, is what... Oh, would... Remember Flash. This is what... Um, <laughs> no, no, R. R. not. Never forget. Never this forget. is what Create React <laughs> App really sort of pushes you in that direction, right? And that's why we're controversial, right? Because we, had, we released Next.js... At the same exact time as Create React App, almost. In fact, when we saw Create React App come out, we already been working on Next.js internally for like a year because we found this developer experience problem that Create React App was also attacking. But we were creating web pages. So the example of the about page that you talked about is like, I was so frustrated with the idea that I'm going to create pages that are always mediated by a loading screen. I was like, that's not what the web is about, you know? Or you're that's ruining what... your component model by creating these weird one-off components that are filled with content. Exactly. And then there's a lot of pressure on the device. You drain battery life. You make it slower to render because like the browser could have, sorry, the server could have already given me a pre-rendered version. Right. But I didn't want to give up on all the other beauties of single page applications. Like the next tap always feels immediate state can be retained offline. Uh, you can create rich interactive components like image resizers and Figma and all. So we wanted to merge those two worlds. Okay, that's how we get to Next.js. All right. What are you excited about? What's coming next? Yeah, so one of the cool things about Next.js, especially when you use it with Vercel, is every push that you make gets deployed to the cloud and you get to test it immediately. So think of it as you mentioned earlier, not setting up staging. It's like infinite staging. So what we're seeing that's really cool is, again, we can empower the developer with the, with the infinite computational capacity of the cloud, not only to get instant builds, like, you know, the other meme in our software industry is, you know, I'm compiling and just go away and wait, come back <laughs> 30 minutes later. So what we think that's really powerful on top of this is we can amplify the power of the front-end developer to enable collaboration company-wide. Because now you have this live version of your product or your page. Hmm. How about I send it over to marketing or IT or security or design? So everyone can sort of come together. It's been really fascinating to see because, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about whether everyone should be coding, everyone should be learning to code. And it's still, you know, like the barrier to entry to creating a very, very, very fast and high performance front. And it's still not something that you learn overnight. 
But there are a lot of capacities in companies that are very good at the job that they're currently doing, but they feel like they never have a chance to influence a product or front end or where it's going or even test it on a device that, you know, is not the developer's device before it goes live. So there's kind of this opportunity for getting the entire company, all teams to collaborate around this, which is a real version of your front end uh, and make it really fast. And yeah, as, as an experience that, you know, companies don't really have today. You have to wait weeks until you have get an opportunity to chime in and where the product is going. All right. So faster response times. Here's my question. So I have a company that is very fond of, of Next.js. And I was like, you know, what are your big Vercel questions? And they immediately said, <laughs> when am I going to be able to write data onto the platform? Because their competitors are going right for it. <laughs> and yeah. so I got I to gotta hit yeah. you with it, camera. Paul, you brought a hardball today, uh, you know, Paul. This is, this I know is this is question. kind of a marketing podcast, but every <laughs> now and then we got to just... I, you Gerber brought a hardball take today. It. I like Gerber it. can take it. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, can you talk to you a little about, more about that problem? What does that look like? For sure. So so to, to frame the problem correctly, so think of Vercel as a closer to a CDN than to a VM. Right, like the CDN, you don't know where things are. You don't know where the computers are. You don't monitor them. You don't do DevOps on your CDN, which is, in my opinion, amazing. Is you know, one of my favorite mental models and pieces of technology is, oh, everything is global and no one gets paged at 3 a.m. because their CDN is down. It's just an impossible conversation to have. So Versa has always gravitated towards the statelessness. Gotcha. We push your front end to the edge of the network. That makes your visitors really happy. We give you the dynamism to be able to customize the experiences so you can build an e-commerce site that responds differently in California and New York with a different you know, promotion of what coat you should buy. Lightweight jacket in SF, you know, snow jacket in, in New York at the same exact time. Right. But you don't really know exactly, oh, I have a server here, a server there. So the question then becomes, where are you getting the data from? Mm-hmm. And the path that Vercel has taken is to say, don't start over a new data and backend initiative from scratch. You can modernize the front end for an existing WordPress site. And you can take advantage of all this incredible global distribution, the React component model, greater interactivity, faster performance. And you don't need to throw away the content engine that your company, for example, is already using. Like everyone, everyone installs amazing WordPress plugins uh, to do an incredible job at like content editing and reviews and drafts and all that. So Next.js gives you this path where you say, grab all the blog posts from the WordPress API. And now I designed a high-performance front-end on Next.js. But you can do that for any data service that exists in the world. I see. You're not going to rebuild the cloud. You're going to focus on that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> let me just, one, this is an interesting moment, right? Because for a minute, it looked like integrated API-driven platforms, like let's say Firebase, we're going to take over the world. And you would drop your data in and you would kind of get your get everything out and it would, you'd sort of all build that API out in, into one big piece. And now you've got, you know, your competitors and, and, and other organizations are starting to add data layers to their stuff. Like, do you think that that is, is there going to be room for all of those hybrids or is the kind of static front-end, diverse back-end really the way that we're going? So I think what's happening really is that the way that applications are being created is changing very quickly and very dramatically. And I think a lot of software engineers have not paused to analyze the philosophical 
reality that we're in. So for example, a lot of us at least use Stripe to be our charges, sure. invoices, and subscriptions database tables, yep. right? Yep. It doesn't look like a database, but they are, right? Like behind that, there's a relational data I store. I mean, they're all, we, Salesforce is a database, right? Like, and, <laughs> exactly. and then they're just like, yeah, we put a Kanban board on top of it. And now they're worth $200 billion. But yes, okay. Totally. Okay. So imagine if uh, you gave your organization the freedom to create a front-end experience that feeds data from Salesforce Commerce Cloud one day. And for this particular interaction, you choose a Stripe. And for this other thing, you use a headless CMS. And for this thing, you use Shopify. So it's very liberating. And it's not that we're not going to endorse the usage of a traditional database. Like, I'm going to use Postgres. I'm going to put every bit of data that I have in there. But I do think that that's just not where the world is headed. The monolithic data store has been broken down into independent microservices, some of which are maintained by companies, some of which are maintained by your own company. So I think... A lot of our competitors are going after, okay, I'm just going to bring the monolithic data store along for the ride. And I think that still will be a thing. We'll we'll have partners that will offer data APIs for Vercel that are more, you know, on the traditional data store type of thing. But that's where, where you give velocities, where you said, I'm going to leverage my existing Salesforce investment or WordPress investment and move faster. No, this is real. And then, I mean, one of the things that's happening is work at work is sort of the automatic API in, on top of Postgres, like Postgrefile, and then every other service getting glued to the side of that, like WordPress for content. And then you put them all together with a front end framework. And uh, totally, that is absolutely the way it's going. Like orchestrating that is hard. Those APIs all have their own versions. Like that part's still tricky, but. I guess, yeah, I guess we have and as time. you mentioned, you mentioned Firebase. A lot of our customers, uh, you know, bring Firebase when they need some, you know, lightweight data store with real-time push features, uh, and that's completely compatible with Next.js. All right. Well, we had a hardball question, and Guillermo said, "Let's get philosophical for a moment." So this might be the deepest, the deepest episode of the Stack Overflow podcast we've ever done. But yeah, that was terrific, Guillermo. Thank you so much for reaching out. It's great when somebody with a lot of expertise wants to talk to us. We appreciate that. I have to let you know that just in the last 24 hours, there are, there are 45 questions on Stack Overflow about, about Next.js, and I would say about half of them are unanswered. So okay. we've got a little bit of work to I mean, do. Let's, I'll get you know, right we've on. Got five, this we've is a got great way minutes. to do this. this is a great way that. to nudge people. <laughs> have them on the podcast. Yeah. I like to bring people on and shame them into helping. I was discussing our Stack Overflow investment even just a couple of weeks ago. So we're, we're on it. You know, That's what's great. funny is like, I feel that if we had, say, Satya Nadella on this podcast, he wouldn't be able <laughs> to answer those questions. But I, I feel Garibo could get in there and do a pretty good job. We'll, we'll work with our team. Uh, we'll, we'll get to a 45 out of 45 every 24 hours. All right. So at the end of every episode, Guillermo, uh, we shout out a lifeboater. That's somebody who earned a badge on Stack Overflow for answering a question that had a negative score of three or more and bringing it all the way up to a score of 20 or more. So today, uh, let's give it to Pax Diablo, awarded December 30th. What does dot .split return if the string has no match? Ugh. All right. We'll put it in the show notes if you're curious, because there is an answer to this one. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and you can always reach us with ideas and questions, podcast at stackoverflow.com. Ben, that's very interesting, but where do we find Guillermo if we want to get in touch with him? <laughs> yeah, Guillermo, where do we find you? Twitter, Rauch G, and Vercel as well. So two accounts you can follow. Excellent. Terrific.
Great. And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub. And I'm Paul Ford, good friend of Stack Overflow. Check out my company, Postlight. We are definitely hiring. So please, please be in touch. <laughs>